Hello, this is Daniel Gravy. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. This is our 295th episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you are having a great week, getting to do something creative, getting to recharge those batteries. No matter what you're doing, if you're just getting to sketch in a notebook, or if you're not feeling that creative, you know, maybe light a candle and just do a little meditation, staring at the flames, see if you can kind of recenter yourself. A little self-care through the creative process and clearing of the mind, I think would be good for everybody. We're at a transitional point in the season, so it's a great time to kind of reassess and, you know, in some cases, shake out the cobwebs and get ourselves set up for the new season. So I hope you're taking some time to do that because I know no matter what you're struggling through in life and no matter how things are going in life, sometimes having that little bit of breaks, having that little bit of time to really kind of focus in on a few moments for yourself to kind of jumpstart you know, that creative process or just some relaxation in a, in a stressful time. So hopefully you're getting a chance to do that. And like I said, even if it's just light a candle and stare at a flame, I think you'll be surprised at what you can get out of that. I wanted to talk this week about rating photographs. It's something that I think a lot of people do. You know, they go through and they put zero to five stars on images, which I always find kind of entertaining because I don't know anybody who really looks at their zero and one star images very often. But rating systems aside, we're going to talk about rating systems. And the reason we're going to do that is I had kind of a weird, you know, tangent access into this kind of topic as it kind of jumped into my head and it's been kind of tumbling around for, for a couple of weeks. One of the things that I stumbled across was a list of the, I think it was Forbes 200 most valuable companies. And on that list was what you would think of just if I ask you, what would you describe as valuable companies? They had Coke, Facebook, Nike, Amazon, Apple, you know, just big Toyota, big companies, 200 of the biggest companies and what makes them valuable. And what kind of stuck in me was the hell makes a company valuable? How does Forbes decide what makes a company valuable? Because there's companies on there that I don't think are that valuable. I don't think they're that interesting. I think what they do in some cases is worse. And what they provide as being better. But, you know, it's just an opinion, but that's just the way I, I kind of feel about some of those things. And I got curious, like, are they looking at environmental impact? Are they looking at CEO salary to employee ratios? What are they looking at that decides if a company's valuable? And of course, because it's a financial model, they're looking at the financials. They're looking at earnings before interest and taxes. They run that through a brand capitalization percentage formula, average that over three years, punch up some other stuff, and bam, you got these valuable companies. And what I found interesting about that is they made a decision about how to define valuable in this case. You know, and normally when we look at the definition valuable, we say something is valuable because it possesses a monetary value. That house is valuable because it's worth a million dollars. That thing is not valuable because nobody would give you $2 for it. And yet, one of the things I find interesting about our own language and the way we think about objects and elements in our lives we don't always necessarily think of the most valuable things as having a monetary possession. We value them and they are valuable to us, even though they may have no monetary value. They have an intrinsic value. So some of the, the things I have for my little brother, you know, he passed away. It's three years ago this month. He's passed away. So some of the little things I brought from his house that sit on the shelves in the studio and sit on my bookcases, those are priceless. They have no monetary value because there is no monetary value that could be offered to me that would be interesting to give them away because of the, what they do for reminding me about my brother. So the value is this intrinsic quality that makes the thing desirable. I want the object on my shelf because it reminds me of my brother. Same thing, I have things for my grandparents, I have things for my actual parents who are still alive, but I have things on my shelf that are interesting. In my photography, I have photographs of Lori and I on vacation or 
my family on a trip or the pets, you know, puppy photographs, those are hugely valuable to me. They don't have huge external monetary value as being valuable, but they're very valuable to me. They're very important to me. They're very significant to me. And so as I got to thinking about, well, Forbes has this model that they ascribe this one element to defining a valuable company. But yeah, when I think about my own life, I've got these multiple models of how I approach things that are valuable. And I have to somehow reconcile the hierarchy of what makes something valuable and how I think about something being valuable all the time. When I'm cleaning up the studio, I've got to make decisions. Is this have value? Is it something that's desirable, positive or negative? Is it valuable? Could I sell it? Does it have monetary value or is it personally valuable? All of those things happen all the time. I make those decisions all the time. And I'm sure everybody else does. I'm sure you go through that same process all the time in your life. I also think it's why sometimes letting go of things is hard because we're like, wow, I paid a lot of money for that. It's valuable. It doesn't work and it's broken and it's taking up space, but yet I paid a lot of money for it. So we do have this kind of odd relationship with money spent to the ascribed value of something. That all being said, the reason I talk about all that is I think there's an interesting concept within the ratings of photographs that's very similar. When we talk about rating photographs, so if we go on a scale from zero to five, or maybe you're going to do colors, or maybe you have keywords, doesn't really matter. In some way, everybody hierarchies their photographs into good ones, not so good ones, and things that probably shouldn't have ever been photographed. Or, you know, at, at a minimum, we kind of create those level of buckets. And one of the things that's interesting is as people get started in photography, they don't even necessarily know what belongs in each bucket. Somebody will work on a horrible photograph, not realizing that the photograph next to it in their catalog is a really good photograph, a really significant photograph, a better photograph for all sorts of reasons, even for their own sensibility of what makes a photograph valuable. We have to learn when we look at our things that we photograph, what makes the photograph interesting? What makes it worth being kept in the collection? What makes it actually valuable? What is that intrinsic desirability within the image? And I think for some of us, it starts off with basic composition. There are certain things we like in photographs. We want colors, or we want forms, or shapes, or we want certain gestures, or we, we want portraits, not landscapes. We want horizontal versus vertical aspect ratios, whatever it is. There's just certain things that we sense is more pleasing in the image, and we elevate those up. And then at other times, we recognize that there's things that were captured in the frame that are interesting. That notion of a moment of time being captured, something in the moment becomes interesting. The awareness that maybe this isn't going to happen again. The confluence of space and time and light in a unique way that creates our imagery and how, the, how we actually get to make the photograph is as we're dealing with time, light, and dimension, those all come together in cool ways. So maybe that's part of what we start to recognize as value. Then there's the actual things that we photograph, the subject matter within the frame. Like I said, my puppy photographs, very, very valuable to me. Not so valuable necessarily to somebody else. But yet I could publish one of my puppy photographs and maybe it ends up in a calendar and that calendar's photo becomes interesting and now valuable to somebody else because they also like Australian Shepherd puppies. There are a host of reasons why a photograph could elevate itself up. As we rank photographs, as we create our ranking system, I think one of the challenges becomes a 
lack of awareness on our part about what actually are the things that we desire within photographs. What is it when we look at a photograph that has us meaningfully connect with the photograph to say that this one photograph is more significant than another? That thing when the two portraits are side by side, why is it that there one is a classic portrait, not necessarily like the greatest portrait ever, but technically the greatest portrait ever? And yet the one that's a little off where there's a little snicker or sneer in the corner, why is that one more interesting? What is it about that moment that elevates that? Our awareness of the letting go of the technical perfection, maybe that's something in your work that you're driven by trying to get this always great, perfect photograph when really what it is, is it's the photographs where it didn't pull together quite right. And there's an unexpected quality to it. And what actually makes your photographs five-star photographs is they reveal to you something you hadn't anticipated. You in fact, learn from your own photographs in a way you hadn't anticipated. So the value for you is the surprise after the photographs made. It's the revisiting of the photograph and continuing to learn and continuing to grow. And for somebody else, maybe it's somewhat time-driven. Maybe it's the value of time put into the photograph. And that for somebody who's compositing and pulling images together or restoring her historical photographs, there's something in that process that says this is what elevates the photograph. This is what makes this photograph better in my worldview than another photograph. And most important to that is when you look at those photographs, can you articulate what is it about this one that has value and what makes this one valuable and what makes this one worthy of being in the classification it's in? And if it's not in the bucket you thought it should be in, why is that? Taking that language that we construct around this and instead of saying, well, that's a five-star image, what is valuable about that as a five-star image? I think that's the piece that we miss a lot of times. And that's the piece that I think we let people skate by on in discussions of photography. We let somebody say, well, this is one of my better images. Well, why is that one of your better images? What is it about that photograph that makes it the better image? Because much like Forbes, you know, I don't necessarily agree that that should be the definition of the most valuable companies. I think there's a lot of other things in my world, worldview, make something more valuable than just a EBITDA analysis with certain variables applied to it. There is some notion of creating a world in a different way. Knowing how Forbes made that calculation allows me to understand the list in a way that they intended and in a common language for the structure of that list. So for you, creating that structure of the definition of what makes five star, what makes three star, what makes a zero star image. Because what could be a zero star image to me could be a five star image to you. So as we're looking and talking about photographs and sharing work and looking at photographs online or in a museum or in a gallery or in a book, having that language wrapped around what is it within the qualities, positive and negative, that make this thing interesting? To me, that's the, that is the important part of discussing photography. It's the important part of recognizing that so much of photography is from within us. It's not that we got the line right, the color right, the exposure right. It's that we got the intrinsic qualities within there that were somewhat undescribable at the moment correct. We were able to 
recognize a moment, recognize the convergence of all sorts of things that come together, and then not breaking them down on the scientific level to say that XYZ within the compositional structure is perfect, but rather these are the things that are important to me, and that's why it's important. So what might be important to you might be things like the environment or family relationships or uh, social justice, all the things that you could wrap into a photograph, even if it's just a photograph of a plant, all those things that get wrapped up into that conversation are indicative of what a scribe's value. So I would encourage you to think about your own photographs. Think about your own star ranking or color ranking or keywording, whatever you do to classify your good photographs and really dig deep into thinking about what makes a photograph good. Because if the only thing that's making it good is it's got the color blue in it, you probably need to dig deep to figure out why the color blue is so important. But if you're starting to look at work and recognize that, wow, even some of my you know, not great compositions are five-star images, we're probably onto something about creating significantly meaningful work that you can then share with others. So I would encourage you to kind of take that next step. Hope you have a wonderful week. Hope you have a great chance to get out there and do something creative. And if not, like I said, just a little respite, light a candle, stare at the flame for a little bit. Just give yourself a chance to recenter, breathe in some good air, get yourself refocused. I think you'll find you're, you've got a lot of, lot of energy left in the tank creatively if you can just give yourself a little bit of space to create it. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, you can always find us up on any of the podcast platforms. And if you're around November 9th through the 13th, if you're listening to the podcast before November 9th through the 13th, don't forget to check out the Photoshop Virtual Summit. I'll be teaching LAB and color management, and there's 29 other instructors teaching some amazing new classes. So hopefully you can join us for that. It's free to watch, and you can also buy a VIP pass and watch the classes at any time. So... Take care. If you want to learn some amazing Photoshop to check out the Photoshop Virtual Summit, you can get a link up on my website. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.